Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's Sajid Javid's first real day on the job and already he's having to hit the ground running. Three of his predecessors are calling for the introduction of ID cards to prevent another wind rush catastrophe. And I'm beginning to think they might actually be onto something. Aside from adopting the stupid-looking Tory power pose when he was appointed yesterday, Mr Javid has already promised to, in his words, do whatever it takes to put things right. But what better opportunity does he have than this? I'm joined this morning by Daisy McAndrew. She'll be telling us what she makes of all the shenanigans at the Home Office this week. We might touch on the shenanigans at the House of Lords as well. 0344 499 1000. Coming up a little bit later on, we're talking about the creepy world of cults, sexual slavery, brainwashing and predictions of an apocalypse are everyday themes for many cults that grew up in the 1970s and some of which still exist today. But now there's a New York court case involving Smallville actress Alison Mack and some very weird allegations. We'll find out just how widespread this problem is. 0344 499 1000 and we'll be finding out exactly what your Spotify playlist says about you. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, thank goodness it's another beautiful day today, Daisy. A very good morning to you. Welcome to the Independent Republic. And for the next three days, yes. uh, you will be stuck with me, I'm afraid. And you will be stuck with me. I couldn't imagine anything better, <laughs> to be honest. And thank God the rain has stopped, the wind has stopped. It was such a miserable day yesterday. It that, brings uh, a song to your heart. It really does. It does bring a song to your heart. And it brings a new Home Secretary into the uh, world of uh, uh, Cabinet today. First Cabinet meeting with Sajid Javid sitting where Amber Rudd used to sit. Yep. Do you feel sorry for her? Do I feel sorry for her? A little bit. Yeah. I feel a little bit sorry for her because I think a lot of the time she was trying to carry the can for Theresa May. I think anybody in that Home Secretary's office, yeah. given that Theresa May did it for so long, mm. given that you know, nearly everything that's going on there has yeah. got her fingerprints on it, yes. if you start to, to unpick all of those things, right. you're in effect criticising mm. your boss, which Indeed. is a very, very difficult Indeed. position. Um, interestingly to be enough, in. Katie Perry was here uh, yesterday. She was telling me that one of the problems that she had was that Theresa May took all the really good advisers with her as well. Well, yep. out of the Home Office and into her own office now as Prime Minister. And so the Home Office never really replaced yep. some of those people. But so the advice that she was getting perhaps was not as good as it ought to have been. And I think almost more than any other department, Brexit has had a huge yeah. impact on the Home Office by paralysing everything that it might want to do. Right. So even with the best intention, even if you did have the best civil servants around you, it, you're still stymied because you're waiting to know what's going to happen with borders, what's going to happen um, you know, post-Brexit. So they are in this sort of 
you know, sort of never neverland of not being able to achieve anything. Yes, so exactly. I think Javid's going to have his work cut out. He is going to have his work cut out, but he might have the benefit at least of seeing how it went wrong yeah. rather than take a partner which has been running relatively well yeah. um, and then watch it fall apart. You know what I mean? It's sometimes easier to take over a job that somebody else has messed up. Much easier. Everybody should should want to do that, take over from somebody who's rubbish um, or a situation that's that's very bad. And I think on ID cards, I'm, I'm broadly in line with, I think it is a good idea. It's sort of a, what have we got to lose? Yeah. Of course, the major thing we've got to lose is money. Yes. <laughs> that, that, that's the because one it could become point. a very, very expensive uh, yeah. procedure altogether. But yeah, I mean, certainly if the Windrush generation had had a, a piece of paper or yeah. a card, I know that people will say, well, they might have had pieces of paper over time which they lost, but you wouldn't lose an ID card necessarily. And these are people, many of whom did not apply for passports. And it was only when they did apply for a passport that there was Ex- a problem. Exactly. And of course, they did have ID cards when they arrived, but they were literally pieces of, of cardboard yes. that you couldn't possibly expect them to hold on to. Of course, a modern day system, it would all be logged on the system with biometric, yeah. have fingerprints, it would probably have uh, you know, the sort of facial recognition, all the rest of it. And it should be you know, very hard to fake yeah. these days, much, much harder than it used to be. So you, when you talk about how you know, it would stop fraud, um, it could stop you know, p- criminals getting fake ID, all of those things are true. But you know, this morning I've been reading could cost five billion. Five pounds. billion. But maybe that's a price worth paying if, in fact, we were able to pin down precisely who is in this country, yeah. why they are here, if they are here legally or illegally. And I don't just include people coming to this country. I include people that live here as well. I'm talking yeah. about not just immigration. I'm talking about every citizen has one. Oh, exactly. I mean, it has to be you know, one for every yeah. single person. Not no. Because at the moment, I think asylum seekers have to carry a form of ID, you know, of, right. of ID card. Okay. But that's, you know, that, that's far too small a number. Also, we're only one of three European countries, mm. the other two being Denmark and Ireland, that don't have the system. So if everyone else has got the system, yeah. there can't be that How much wrong with it. How bad can it be? The, yeah. the story this morning, Alan Johnson, Charles Clark and uh, Ken Clark, all three former Home Secretaries, are basically saying uh, it would be better if we had ID cards. And if we did, uh, it would certainly solve many of the problems that arose during the wind rush problem that we've only just been uh, seeing unfolding. Let's go to the phones. 0344-499-1000. Michael is in East London. Hi, Michael. Hiya. Yeah, hi. What do you think, Michael? Um, I think, um, basically, anyone who hasn't got anything to hire generally doesn't have any problems with ID cards. Yeah. And as you've, as you've said, you know, we all carry around ID cards. We carry around passports, credit cards, um, different membership clubs, right. uh, cards, etc. And, and it also makes sense in this day and age to have it all on one, one, one document. You know, you could have your allergies, medical medical yeah. is- issues, entitlements yeah. um, to NHS or, or different um, benefits. You could have your, your driving licence with um, any exclusions or blood type and yeah. things like that. The, what, what people do forget, though, um, and I'm, as I say, I'm very much for it, um, but what people do forget is this data is also held off that card, mm. and that's the danger, that if, these, if, this, if that data gets in the hands of mm. someone... Um, who it shouldn't have, um, it can basically cause all sorts of problems. Sure. And I think that's that's the underlying problem with with an identity card. All your all your information in one place, you know, can lead to identity theft, and yeah. um, you can you know you, you can have counterfeit scenarios. Um, and if people become so reliant on the on the identity card, 
then that, that in itself brings its own problems. And actually, that's the one argument that James didn't bring up, which is, which is, which is a <laughs> yeah. really, really good argument, that, it, that it's you know, a, a hacker's dream, isn't it, to have well, all that is. data in one place. So you would have to be confident that the government was capable of securing yeah. that information. That's true. But, Michael, I mean, the problem is, is that a lot of this information is held maybe not all in one place already. And so, therefore, people could hack into, say, your bank account and your bank information or your, your tax information from HMRC or perhaps your medical information. You know, it's all somewhere well, if well, somebody well, wants to go could, look for it. Then they've got, you know, they've got their work cut out to collate all that information. Yeah. You know, to ha- actually have it all, all ready packaged, you know, in a nice, in a nice ribboned uh, <laughs> data file, you know, for them is, is a different scenario. No, I get that. I, I agree with that. It is opportunist, right. opportunist um, theft. Would you tell me this, Michael? Would you be willing, if, say, for example, they came up with a plan which had all of the things that you suggest on one card and it was all in one chip or something like that, uh, which could also operate as a passport, would you pay for that or would you expect it to be given to you? Well, I think I think people would pay for it, and I, and I think I think because you already pay for, you know, we've we've already heard, you know, people are paying extortionate amount for passports. Yeah. Children's passports, especially, you know, that they have to be renewed every five years with an out-of-date photo. I mean, if, you, if, you've, if you've got kids and you've got to get a passport for a one-year-old and you're using it three years later, you know, it's ridiculous. You know, why they ever got rid of having the passports on the, on the parents, um, having the children on the parents' passport, I don't understand. But I think that's also a, an inherent problem is that, you know, just because of the nature of the government and spending and because we have governments that spend the last last year of their of their tenure kind of promising this promising that and they never get round to it and they're all so worried about spending money um i don't think you'll ever get the perfect scenario because the the sort of system that we would we would need would would have to encompass kind of projected projected um, developments of what they could what they could do and projected security and, and things like that and so the cost just outweighs you know the benefit um, you know everyone no one wants a, a situation where they produce a part they produce an ID card it suddenly have a flaw in it and therefore it makes it redundant after spending X amount of money it's got to be a, an ongoing process um, but but technology can help. I mean, I think you mentioned it a short while ago. You know, people put their fingerprint on their phones. Um, they do all sorts of different security stuff like that. Um, so I think it's something that has to be looked at. But, yeah. but the bottom line is, if, if there was some way to guarantee that that information was, was secure... Um, and completely secure. And, you know, I mean, you, you can put Chinese walls in government so certain certain departments can't access, mm. for example, criminal convictions or something like that or, or, or anything, you know, that they, can't, they can only use the data for what it's intended. But, um, you know, I think unless it's absolutely secure, that's always the underlying problem as to what happens with that data. You know, and we've got the new data rules coming in, what is it, May 20, 24th, yeah. I think, you know, and that, that kind of even highlights that what, what's already happened, that's only come about because people have data that people aren't even aware of. No, you know? exactly right. Michael, listen, we've got to let you go because we've got to take some other callers, please. Thank you very much indeed. 0344 499 1000. Interesting points made by Michael. Let's talk to Andrew, uh, who's in Cambridge. Hi, Andrew. Hello there. How yeah, you doing? hi. I'm very well. What would you uh, like to tell us? 
Well, there's a couple of things that Michael raised, I think, are very important points. I mean, he raised the point of, you know, can the data that's associated with an ID card be kept secure? And and the answer, of course, is no. I mean, we see this proved over and over and over again. Uh, You had 10, 15 years ago, you had uh, the government lost all of the records of all of the child benefit claimants in the entire country. You know, governments can't keep this kind of information secure. So putting it all on and associating it all, every aspect of your life, with one ID card is, is lunacy. You know, well, I'm not sure it's lunacy. I think it's, I think it's all part of the same problem, really, Andrew, because what we do know is, is, as you quite rightly say, they're not very good at keeping data secret. They're not very good at keeping it uh, uh, efficiently. They're also not very good at doing anything really efficiently, and that's part of the problem uh, that, uh, that Amber Rudd suffered from at the Home Office, and that's what, hopefully, uh, somebody uh, in, in Sajid Javid um, office is going to try and fix because if they make it more efficient, if they make the Home Office a better operation and make it run properly, then perhaps people will have a bit more faith in their ability to keep information because we've got to do something about all these people that we don't know about running around the country. Well, I agree with you, first of all, that, you know, obviously I do hope that uh, somebody can get a grip on the Home Office because it, it's it's not done a very good job on these kinds of things. You know, Labour tried to introduce an ID card scheme. They tried for something like, what was it, somewhere between five and ten years, and it failed partly because... Um, Ordinary people didn't want it, but it failed also partly because they couldn't build the technology. I'm in the IT business. I watched very closely what, uh, what, they, what was going on. And they, they were squandering something like half a million pounds a day at one point on trying to build this ID card system. And at the end of it, yes, it got axed by the Conservative government. But frankly, the, the processes to build it internally, the technical teams that were building it, it had all collapsed. The thing was frankly dead anyway. So, Andrew, you don't work for Cambridge Analytica, do you? You said you're in IT and you're calling from Cambridge. (laughs) No, there's lots of IT people in Cambridge. You know, it's uh, obviously a bit of a hotspot for this kind of thing. But no, and yes, we've obviously we've all been watching that with some interest as well. Mm. And particularly the way that Facebook has been trying to transfer some of the blame for that onto Cambridge University, which is completely unjustified. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem here, Andrew, is that government is is, is incredibly inefficient, as, as you know, and as we've just pointed out. But somebody at some point surely has to make it more efficient. That, I mean, the answer is not to do things because we don't think we can do them very well. Surely the answer is to do them better. Yeah, absolutely. But there's a que- one of the key questions here is, should government be doing identity management? Because that's what ID cards are all that. Should they be doing identity management at all? Yeah. You know, I was, uh, when the... Uh, this, Do they not outsource you know, quite a bit of this stuff as well, was though? being introduced. Sorry, sorry, I just want to finish this point. When yeah, the previous ID card scheme was being introduced, one of the things they wanted to do was to make it, quote, essential to everyday life. This was actually in the documents they published. They wanted you to have to produce an ID card every time you made a bank transfer, when, when you did... when They wanted it to be used multiple times per day. But in order to do that, you would have put your ID card into a reader and your data would have been, first of all, checked with the Home Office's centralised computer well that's that's bad enough Mm. but secondly their system would have been able to approve or deny permission for you to carry out you know individual transactions in your daily life it would have been windrush on steroids because the thing that 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 ruined the lives you know the 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 root of this this scandal of the windrush generation is that they were denied access to you know jobs they were denied housing though in some cases they were denied nhs treatment and that was just using paper systems yeah Imagine what it would be like if the Home Office's computer, when you put your ID card in the reader, could say, yeah, actually, 
we don't want you to transfer your money out of your bank account today because we think you're a deadbeat dad. We think, you know, somewhere uh, you're not paying your child maintenance. So That's a big leap, though. That, Andrew, that is a very big no, leap. It, well, no, no, it's not a big leap. This yeah. is exactly, if you look back in the documentation they published at the time, this was exactly the Home Office's ambition. Yeah, but the Home Office's exactly ambitions, as we well know, are often uh, slightly overreaching and certainly not achievable. So, you know, what their ambitions yeah. are and what they could actually physically do within the realms of the law are, are something else. And as Daisy said, how come only three countries in Europe, us included, can't make this thing work? Surely if everybody else can do it, we can do it. Yeah, but do we want to do it? Is it a good idea? We I think it's a good idea to know who's in the country and to know exactly what they're doing here, yeah. I think, Andrew, I think one of the problems is we're, you know, we're, we're facing Brexit. Brexit is going to happen. And I think knowing you know, more about our own citizens once we become a standalone nation rather than part of yeah. Europe, which is, which is definitely going to happen, that then means that some system of, of ID management, as you've called it, um, it, it, is going to be absolutely necessary. I think so, too. Andrew, listen, thank you very much indeed for your call. We're looking at the front page of The Guardian this morning. Uh, I was struck by the pose uh, that's been adopted <laughs> by the new Home Secretary, Sajid Javid, who's done that thing that Theresa May and George Osborne did. The power and for the pose. life of me, I can't <laughs> imagine what would ever bring anyone to come to the conclusion that this is a great idea. I'm going to stand here and look like a complete and utter idiot. Right. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So if people haven't seen it, so he's got his legs you know, spread wider yeah. than his shoulders. Legs akimbo, as they say. And it's called, you know, it was dubbed uh, the Tory power pose. Yeah. But you know, lots of people say, if you imagine, do you remember Hugh Laurie in Blackadder? Yes. As Prince George, yeah. the, the Prince Regent. He yeah. used to stand like that right. to try to make himself look manly. Yes. It's more like uh, also from uh, the um, Flashman, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, from the um, uh, from the Blackadder the series Slapping as well. his thighs. Yeah, slapping his thighs. <laughs> We're going to Judy James here, who's a body language expert, to find out uh, what on earth is going on. Judy, a very good morning to you. Good morning. What are they doing it for? Do, I mean, do they not realise they look idiotic? Well, I was chortling away when I saw this recent picture and I suddenly thought maybe I should feel guilty because I've actually been training people to do the power pose for years, <laughs> but it shouldn't look like this. I no. mean, uh, it, this is over-splaying. Yes. Um, and I, I love this about politicians, though, and this is why I love my job. They They take a grain of truth and they do it with their verbal sound bites as well, and then they overdo it, and it, it turns into this kind of thing, which absolutely looks ridiculous. And I, you know, I love the way that, despite the fact everybody laughed at George Osborne and Theresa May years ago doing at the conference, they're still doing it now. It's like nobody said, no, it's not a good look. No. So, Judy, just I, I am feeling this was the, the power pose was the subject of a of a TED talk a number of years ago, wasn't it? That had millions and millions of views, and it was supposedly based in science that it would make if you adopted the pose you'd get more testosterone that your hormone levels would actually change I, I, I don't know about the hormone levels I mean I, I was I have to say I think I beat her to it on one but I didn't get into the hormone levels and stuff no what it does um, a lot of people I train in business they're, they're going out there they're doing speeches they're pitches and everything and they tend to stand with 
their feet together, you know, knee bent at one knee, sometimes legs crossed at the ankle, which creates a feeling of vulnerability, which makes you more nervous. Mm. Whereas if you stand in a slight, and the word is subtle, which I think politicians don't mm-hmm. understand, if you stand with a subtle triangular shape so that you've got your feet maybe a few inches apart, weight balanced on both feet, it makes you feel, I don't know about the hormones, but it makes you feel more confident because, you know, your, your body doesn't feel as though it's under threat of attack. Maybe. I mean, when, when you splay like this, the only people that do this that I would train to do it would be bouncers outside nightclubs, so, <laughs> you know, that are waiting to take a punch. Or people who are on stage, maybe. But, I mean, I've got a theory, actually, uh, Judy. Mm. I'm wondering whether because these politicians realise that they're going to look really lame in whatever pose they adopt, <laughs> that they're actually going to make themselves look really idiotic and make it look as if they're really over-trying and overstepping the mark <laughs> because they think an ordinary picture will actually look worse. Well, I think, uh, uh, could it look worse than this? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, they need a refund if this was directly trained to them to be doing, because it, it does look... Uh, and the, it's also incongruent, because if you look at somebody that's really trying to be a tough guy, the top half of the body joins in, but they've just got their arms hanging limply down by their yeah. side. So it's, it, it's incongruent. It's like, I'm really tough. No, I'm not. Even Donald Trump's missed out on this one, and that shows how, you know, how wretched it must yeah. be that he hasn't picked exactly. up yet. So. Although maybe he can't make his feet, uh, his feet into that position because we're told one of the reasons he holds everybody's hand is not because uh, he's trying to be sort of dominant. It's because he might, he's worried he might fall over. I, well, I heard he was like a Dalek, that he doesn't do stairs, so any inclines and steps, he has to grab somebody. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I love the way that people invent new body language all the time. I mean, I'm enjoying the hand-holding that's going on at the moment, yeah. this new splaying. I, I thought I'd seen it all, but clearly there's more to come, thank goodness. Is there a kind of, is there a sort of default macho pose? I mean, I always assume if you want to look macho, you just stand there and fold your arms and kind of lean back a bit. Well, I mean, it should be pretty unisex in business these days. I mean, I think if a guy wants to look really suave and a woman as well when they're in business, um, the one thing that was always forbidden was putting a hand in your pocket. But if you do it well, and I have to say, and don't try this at home because it looks stupid the first few times, if you do it with a thumb out, um, so that they can see what you're doing, it, it can actually, that can look very sort of James Bond on a good day. But um, yeah, not not... Arms folded are okay, but I think that can look quite aggressive if you're clutching your biceps or if you're body hugging, it can again look quite nervous and vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, Tajid Javi looks more Mr. Bean than Bond, really, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, I suppose a lot of these things, when a politician sort of is the first one to try something and it works, a trailblazing, you know, like famous David Cameron's speech where he walked up and yeah. down, he didn't have auto cue, you know, that was all very impressive. Yeah. But of course, now when people are stomping up and down making presentations, yeah. it just looks a bit try Well, the worst one, I think, was Ian Duncan Smith. Do you remember when he did that speech at the yeah. conference where he was the uh, quiet man the is quiet turning man. up the volume and he tried yeah. to sort of raise his fist as he said it and it was the yeah. most pathetic yeah. looking thing I'd ever seen. I know, and the whole thing about doing any body language training is that it's got to be done individually and you've got to bring out what I would call the individual charisma of the person. Mm. So he was the quiet man. There wasn't actually anything wrong with that. I think that's why people quite liked him. So to then try and raise your fist, it looks as though... You're not sort of, I, I know you can't be yourself in politics, but it looks as if you're being slightly dishonest by trying to be. So, I mean, Ed, Ed Miliband for years was being trained to look like Barack Obama with his delivery and his suits and everything like that. And I, I just think he looked better as a slightly geeky character, which looked a lot more authentic. So authenticity is really important. Um, from that, you then maybe add on a few 
things that will get rid of some of the negative gesticulation, but don't try and change them into somebody else. That doesn't work. No, indeed. Judy, thank you very much indeed. Judy James, body language expert. So have you found yourself a Spotify playlist? Well, so when you look at my Spotify, there's a very clear um, sort of lack of identity because half of it is my kids because they they use mine and half of it is mine. And last night... Don't you give them their own? Can't they have their own little one off to the side? They they absolutely should. I think that's what we've got. It's all muddled in together. So Ah. last night I was cooking their tea at five o'clock whatever it was and I said yeah turn that racket off that yeah. put on some ghastly rap music right. and of course the 12 she'll be 12 tomorrow and Millie went oh mum don't put your music on your music <laughs> makes me want to kill myself <laughs> Surely she should be listening to that sort of music, shouldn't she? I mean, that's, as you enter the teenage yeah. years, you start to listen to the music no. that's supposed so to be very depressing. So mine is full of, you know, Joan Armour training. Yes, that's a good one. Tracy Chapman. Okay. And, you know, Adele. So yeah. That's my husband called you know, female suicide music. Or, you know, or then there's the sort of meatloaf, even right. more embarrassing. Well, I've got I've got several playlists. Right? What I'm going to do, I'm going to look up, you're going to do these things called your daily mix, which kind of yeah. is kind of, it's pulled together from what you normally listen to. Yeah. And maybe with a few other surprises. I don't know what this is going to, reveal about me right so i'm going to open it up um the first song right <laughs> is the first cut is the deepest by rod stewart <laughs> second one is uh, you don't know how it feels by tom petty which is all right yeah that's lovely steely dan do it again the third one uh too many hands by the eagles yeah these are showing your age down the somewhat. road of peace the rolling stones yeah venus you, and mars remastered also they're very male aren't they Mine are very female. You know, maybe we're just playing into our... We see, my first yeah, playlist see, is I, full I of... Mean, yeah, I mean, I listen to Tracy Chapman quite a lot. I love Joan Armour Train. In fact, I've still yeah. got some vinyl Joan Armour Train that I listen to. No, my first playlist is full of, sort of Stormzy and Mabel, so that's clearly the children rather than me. <laughs> it's, uh... But if I look up my playlists, I've got things which are slightly more modern. Like, for example, I've got, I've got a playlist called New, where I've got things like... Um, now, you, this might surprise you. I've got Josh Stone... I've got uh, Mandolin Orange, which is quite sort of trendy, Yes, I would say. Uh, I've got Biffy Clyro. I've got Beyonce. I've got uh, Tiny Temper. Which which Beyonce? Uh, The Beyonce song I have is Daddy Lessons. Oh. It's one of my daughter's favourite songs. That's why I've got it on there. That is quite good. Before you start making any bizarre uh, strange assumptions (laughs) about me. I've got uh, Ellie Goulding, right? I've got, um, let's see, what else? So they're basically... William S. Burroughs. Wow, that's a good one. This is basically a lot of X Factor, you know, type of songs. Nico Case, Christine and the Queens. That's kind of French, um, interesting stuff. Kate Nash, Florence and the Machine. So it's not all. Yeah, there's a Tracy Chapman, Interpol, Lana Del Rey. So it's not yes. all. So it's not all the. So I need the, to just steal my some daily of your mix. Lists. My daily mix is is a bit of a calumny, actually. In What's fact, your... I'm thinking of suing Spotify now for making me look like some middle-aged, middle-of-the-road bloke. What's your favourite? But do you have? I suppose the point of this story is that what uh, what the analysts, the sort of yeah. data analysts, and particularly um, economists, are saying is that they can tell. Uh, how confident the consumer confidence of a nation by analysing what they're listening to. So, yeah. so if you're feeling a bit skint, would you listen to different music than if you're feeling flush? Do you think that's, no, that's think what so. they're that's what they're implying? No. But let's talk to Simon Baptist, who's head of operations for Europe for Tune, uh, because uh, they are mobile marketing specialists, and of course, it may well be um, that he knows more about this than we do. Simon, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us. Is there a place I can go? To discover what it is that uh, all this data on me uh, means, and what you know, what it what it sort of adds up to. 
At this point, I don't think there is that concept of, I heard you talking about an app on your phone that just pulls all your various points of data together to one point. At this point, there isn't anything like that that I know of. I'd be happy to do Um, it the old-fashioned way and go to like a vault, you know, (laughs) and open up an old file and look through the paperwork. It sounds like we're... Uh, cooking up a good business idea here. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, I bet you people would pay, you know, £10 to go and check out what, what, it, what it is that everybody's selling about them. Do you know what I mean? For sure. If you think we already do that, for example, with, with credit checks. Right. Um, just taking it further in terms of uh, uh, control over our personal data that is being that is out there. I definitely think people would find inter- sure. that interesting. I mean, the story today is interesting, not least because it's come from uh, the Bank of England's chief economist, you know, so it's mm. not as if it's just some, some kind of random marketing research that's come out. This is uh, Andy Haldane, I think his name is, who says that yep. tracking people's online habits will actually give clues that could affect the future of the economy. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. I, I've read into uh, and listened to what Andy was saying. And I think um, particularly if we focus just first on the Spotify piece yeah. um, and how he's saying, you know, we can predict the mood or we can get an understanding of the mood of, of um, you know, how we're feeling by by looking at the top charts mm. and then looking at the uh, lyrics of those. And we can sort of see what that does against the other data they have. And I think that is interesting. I think that information just in terms of its availability is publicly available. You know, you can uh, just do a search on Google, top UK downloads last week, uh, and you'll see that information. They then take that information and use it elsewhere. I think, um, so that's the kind of use of data that's potentially interesting. And you can imagine uh, over the weekend, we probably... We're listening to uh, a lot of singing in the rain type songs, but today probably <laughs> our mood's going to be a little bit better, at least in London with the sunshine we're having here. Um, so I think if you actually then go look at some of the, the other things that um, Andy Haldane's saying, is really it's about historically they've been using um, things like surveys. So you survey a thousand people, that gives you an idea. Um, what they're saying is as this data becomes more available, we should be using it and look to use it alongside that so we get a better picture. So I think actually the way that he's looking at it is to say, let's have a more rounded picture. Let's use this data that's going to be available. Um, and I think, I don't know if you know, on the 25th of May, there is a, a uh, sort of a new regulation coming in as uh, our industry is very, very been very focused on. It's called GDPR, uh, General Data Protection Regulation, and what that means is it really changes the rights around and it reinforces the rights that us as individuals have around how our data is being used. Um, and I think that, in terms of uh, some of the maybe the more recent scaremongering type of that we've been seeing around our personal data, it's going to give us a lot more control. And I think towards your idea of that eventual app, all of a sudden we're going to be able to, you know, I think you were talking about being able to ask the FBI, what data do you have on yeah. me? You know, we're going to be able to do that to every company that we work interact with. You could go just follow away, what data do you have on me? Right. And then they'll have to respond to that. And then you could say, actually, I want you to delete that data. Right. I don't want you having that data anymore. So that's going to come in in part in the 25th of May, and that's going to give us all a lot more control about 
how is our data being used? How are the things that we're doing online being used? Um, Simon, so given, there's a level, yep. given that this is the world um, you inhabit, and all morning we've been talking about whether ID cards would be acceptable or unacceptable to the British public and whether it's, you know, it's an infringement or whether it's actually a help. And, and I think both Mike and I are in agreement that the general mood has changed around um, Big Brother holding lots of information about us because it's, it's just a, a part of everyday life these days and most of us have come to accept it. But do you think that that's, that, that's true generally or are, are we unusual? I think we're going through uh, a cycle right now where people maybe didn't realise how much data was being gathered about them. Um, uh, maybe they had a, an inkling and now it's kind of surfaced in the last sort of few months right. that all this data is being used and people are like, going, okay, is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Um, I think for most people, they come down on, I would think, once they think it through and go, okay, if I'm getting something for free or if I'm getting this value from it, it's kind of an exchange, right? And so I think yeah. in generally, we are happy with that. And I think that's the point that we come to. But there may be certain things that we don't want necessarily data to be gathered on and used, you know, um, I think here may be more of how do we protect children, right? How do we protect yeah. under 13s or under 16s? And how do we put make sure that the laws that are being put in place are, are enforced? So that's slightly, let's leave that aside because that can easily mm. be a long conversation. Yeah. Uh, so I would think generally, if you look around what's happening is people are at that point saying, there is all this data. If it's being used for good, then great. Um, and they're accepting of that. I think going back to your idea for that app, I'm going to reach out to you afterwards and maybe we can have a coffee and figure out how we build that. Um, I think that kind of control will come and people will feel more comfortable with, what, with what's out there when they have that ability to control that. I don't think that's there yet, but I think it's definitely an opportunity that is, will be coming. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Dial up some dialogue. Talk Radio. We'll get you talking.